Debbie George Addis, welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about illegal aliens fly free, what is the message? Pre prepare, you prepare for the January 6th anniversary coming up Thursday and post-racial America versus woke racial insanity. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You've been seeing these stories, another one was out recently, about flights, airline flights being paid for by the Biden administration, which means by your tax dollars, bringing illegal aliens, into America um, and spreading them around America. Recent story had uh, flights carrying illegal immigrants uh, landing uh, in Pennsylvania. And so people who cross the border illegally, many of them not tested for COVID, certainly not subjected to the restrictions that American citizens feel responsible for. Um, and, uh, and they are being flown around, dropped off in places unknown and also unclear where or who's picking them up, who's becoming responsible for them. And I know many people say, oh, these are just, you know, conspiracy theories by right-wing people. Well, one former GOP congressman, Lou Barletta, who is now at this moment running for the to be governor of Pennsylvania, he claimed flights are sent at night by the Biden administration. Now he's talking about the flights landing at Lehigh Valley uh, International Airport, um, and that there were other um, other flights directed to Scranton. These are airports in Pennsylvania, Scranton International Airport. So you have the Biden administration, uh, virtually no border enforcement. I mean, there's some border enforcement you know, for the cameras once in a while but largely unsecured border. As you've heard many reports on this show, uh, we've had guests come on and talk about the, um, the way the actual situation of the border. Victor Avila, among other people, have reported on this. And so you have the unsecured border, you have people getting over here, the Biden administration flying them all over the country. Previous reports, uh, there was a lengthy report uh, about the Biden administration flying people um, into uh, New York. Illegal immigrants in the middle of the night landing in New York Heaven knows where they go. Um, and then uh, they had you know, more than two months of effort to resettle tens of thousands of people uh, taken into custody. Uh, who knows how many never got taken into custody. And there are three points I wanted to make about this. Number one, just in the kind of idea we talked about before where uh, studies decades ago would talk about children becoming desensitized to violence, where if the children watch so many violent videos, and they watch, you know, videos, they, video games where people are being shot and killed and, you know, screams and yells and all this. They actually discovered that children became desensitized to violence when real violence occurred. They didn't have the normal human reaction of revulsion and fear and anger, the things you should think as a, as a sentient human being in response to violence. But when you're desensitized to it, to violence by watching all these videos, the, the kids are more about, well, eh kind of reaction. This is the same thing as happening to the American population. We're becoming desensitized to the lunacy of the Biden administration, to the lawlessness of the Biden administration. We are becoming desensitized to it. I kicked off this story today. You know, here we are again, as I love saying, we're in the year 2022. We're finally in the new year. And so we're into the new year, you know, fourth day of the new year. Stories out about these illegal aliens being flown around the country by the Biden administration, dropped off, not clear what the purpose is, no idea if they have been vetted, no idea if we have, if they, what their background is, whether they are truly, you know, people fleeing impoverished countries, seeking a better life, or they are child traffickers or sex traffickers or drug traffickers. We don't know who they are, <clears throat> are dropped off in states around the country. And yet, I'm sure many of you realized the story I was going to talk about and thought, well, that's kind of, oh, excuse me, <coughs> I'm so sorry. That's kind of old news. I mean, you know, we, everyone's heard this, so what? This is what desensitized to the lunacy and lawless of the Biden administration means. 
the common reaction of too many people is like, well, I know, but you know, this, this is happening. We all know this. We move on. We don't stop and say, wait a minute. One of the primary roles of the federal government is to enforce the border, to enforce the border, to contain the American entity, the American country as a sovereign nation with people who come across our border and we vet them, we understand where, what they are, why they're coming, do they meet our amnesty requirements or not. Uh, if they don't, they can't stay here. We, we, th this is normal law and order for countries around the world for decades. But we have just in the last year of the Biden administration, we're coming up on the, you know, in three weeks or so, the anniversary of he who was inaugurated and, and occupies the White House, and we have already become desensitized to that. So that's number one, we're desensitized to it. Number two, we don't have an active media, a responsible media. I mean, conservatives try to get answers, but the entire press pool that follows around the Biden administration, follows around uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, no one feels and expresses a sense of outrage, like what in the world are you doing at the southern border? We have a completely useless press corps not calling it out, not demanding it. And very similarly, members of the US Congress, you have Republicans nearly, you have a very uh, high plurality of Republicans in the House. I mean, the, the Democrats barely hold power in Washington, although they have the White House and they have the Senate just barely, they have the House just barely. We hear so few Republicans calling this out. Republicans should be jumping up and down every day, calling press conferences, standing on the steps of the Capitol with every single elected Republican locked arms saying, we demand a secure border. We demand you stop flying these people around. We demand that you follow the law. We demand that you do not allow these people to enter. We become so desensitized, not just our population, but our elected officials and the press corps. We just let it go. We just say, well, you know, hey, that, that's how, kind of how they are. And, we, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Third point and final point in this first five. God bless Governor DeSantis in Florida. He has uh, been the recipient of many of these late night you know, late night, dropped off illegal immigrants, uh, dropped, flown into Florida, dropped off in his state to do who knows what and live and stay who knows where. So he's actually taking action. Now, I will tell you that he's taking action as a governor because in Florida, he doesn't have a border with Mexico. There are four states that do, four states that do have a border with Mexico, and all those states are becoming inundated, overwhelmed with illegal immigrants. But in Florida, it's entirely because the, the uh, influx of illegal immigrants is due to the Biden administration's actions, their decisions. This is how we're going to treat immigration. We just fly around the country, drop them off. So Governor DeSantis, God bless that man, um, is speaking up and he's taking actually announcing steps to stop the flow. He did this. Uh, he had one press conference, a particularly notable one uh, in December. Uh, in which he was talking about, we're just not going to keep letting them come here without any consequence. So he's calling on the mayors for their help. He's floated ideas like, you know, maybe they'll put some of the illegal immigrants right back on airplanes, uh, fly them out of Florida. And he mentioned landing them uh, in uh, Delaware, which is the home state of our, he who occupies the White House, uh, or maybe out there on the uh, rich, the, you know, very, very wealthy areas. Um, uh, along the eastern seaboard, you know, the, uh, the kind of areas, the enclaves of wealthy liberals. Put these people where uh, it will impact the voters and the uh, left-wingers who seem to support these policies. I'll wrap up the first five by saying this. I said yesterday in the show, first day of the new year, that there are a few issues that are freedom shaping, change America's future forever. There are probably many of them. But failure to enforce the border, to enforce immigration policy, to insist on if there's going to be a change in immigration policy, it has to pass Congress. Failure to do that. If you just say, well, you know, I know that the law, the Constitution kind of says, you know, the, the president can't just, you know, ignore uh, con congressional laws. But if you let it happen and you, you just let what's happening continue to occur, you really are watching the president abandon his job of protecting the American people. I actually, I've heard members of Congress have floated the idea, isn't this in itself treasonous to abandon the border, to allow an endless influx? I mean, the numbers, the genuine conservative, reasonable, reasoned estimates 
are in the, you know, two million people flowing into America, don't know where they are. I mean, some of them we know they went with families, some of them uh, we may have contained in some center. We have no idea who's here. This is the picture, like the dictionary definition, the encyclopedia example of the way to destroy a country. If you, if you don't have a border, you're not a country. It's like, just like a home. If you don't have a yard that's yours or an apartment that you have the front door is yours, the land inside the apartment's yours, or the land inside your house is yours, you don't really have property. You don't really have your home. You don't really have your apartment. Well, same is true for the country. If we don't enforce the border, we are capitulating to the idea that America as a sovereign nation doesn't matter. That America as a country with laws and forceful borders is a thing of the past, is old school, which is, of course, what many left-wing Marxist socialists push. They push this idea that borders and nation states like America are kind of yesterday's news, old world, provincial, uh, too, too provincial, not modern, not, uh, not up to date with the way the current uh, left-wing radicals are thinking about one world order, one world government. This is not just a random lawlessness by the Biden administration. It's not just random lawlessness. It is, it is actually implementing, is giving strength and power and, and um, legitimacy to the left-wing goal to eliminate nation states and move toward that big one world government. Hugely consequential, ridiculously irresponsible on the part of the media and honestly Republicans in Washington not to be making a federal case, so to speak, out of this every single day. And that, my friends, is my very, is the very first five, my first five today. Okay, hey, um, I wanna talk to you about several things. First of all, this coming Monday, I am going to dedicate my show. Mondays, I do not have a guest. I, I refer them to Deep Dive Mondays. And on Monday, um, I'm gonna dedicate the show to election integrity, looking at election 2020, what do we know about it now? What does election integrity require? And part of the reason I wanna do that ties into the, re the first five and to many, many stories we are talking about. If the American people actually elected Joe Biden, elected you know, by 81 million votes, most votes ever earned in American history, if that actually happened, in, uh, in uh, last year, in November 2020, then, then, then we have a different political argument. I mean, if it really was, the, and I will tell you, Biden didn't run on saying, vote for me, I'll abandon the border. Vote for me, I'll inflict COVID tyranny. He didn't run on the things he's doing, as all leftists do. They run on happy talk, smiley promises of everything's gonna be wonderful under me and everything's gonna be perfect, and people get duped by it, and because they don't run on what they're gonna do. But the American people did not choose the border situation at the border. It's being inflicted on them by the Biden administration. And why I want to talk about this on Monday and what happened in the election of 2020 and where we are now, you know, we're in the uh, early, the very beginning of 2022. We've had a year, um, almost a year of the Biden administration is how many things, how much damage to America is flowing from the fact that we have in place a regime in Washington that was not elected by the American people. The American people actually liked the Trump border policies. They actually liked enforcing the border. They actually liked the Remain in Mexico policy. They actually liked the idea. They may, they may think things weren't perfect, something shouldn't have been done, something should have been differently, should have been done differently. But the concept that America wanted to begin again to reinforce this border, the vast majority of Americans wanted that. One of the many reasons I believe that Trump was reelected handily in November of 2020. But look at all the damage flowing to America because we have not been able to expose the election fraud and because we're continuing to operate our country under a regime which was not elected. Border, failure to secure the border all by itself, failure to secure the border all by itself should be enough for many Americans to wake up and say, you know what? Election integrity matters because we got this clown in the White House now abandoning the border and, you know, just flying people around the country, dropping them off in various places um, in the middle of the night. And this is not the way America is supposed to be. This is not what a, a president committed to the sovereignty of America would ever do. OK, now I want to talk about uh, January 6th, which is two days from now. So um, on this coming January 6th, which is this Thursday, um, my guest on the show is one of the premier experts related to COVID. And so I've got a great uh, guest joining us, Dr. Brian Artis on Thursday. And given our new membership policy uh, here at America Can We Talk, uh, everyone can see the show. We're still gonna have 
in-studio audience. It's giving our special big studio with in-studio audience and the, our guests will be in studio. We're going to talk about COVID. He's, is Dr. Brian Artis has been among the most outspoken advocates uh, for early treatment, the efficacy of early treatment for COVID, and, and really willing to say it's very problematic that we didn't have support for these early treatments coming out of the uh, entire uh, medical establishment, including Dr. Fauci from the very beginning. So he's Thursday. So since I'm not going to talk about January 6th on Thursday, and tomorrow I have a guest where we're probably also not going to get to January 6th, I want to talk about January 6th today. And the reason I want to, I want to almost like prepare you for what is going to happen, the tsunami of media coverage and the way in which the media will try to portray, contort, lie, misrepresent, and otherwise just continue to use January 6th as a vehicle to generate outrage against President Trump, generate outrage against the American people who supported President Trump, continue to perpetuate the myth that the January 6th um, and it was a riot. You could fairly call it a riot at the Capitol, a riot. But the January 6th riot was not an insurrection. But you're going to hear the media in this country, the entire January 6th committee formed in the House, the media around the country, all left-wing sources would just be up in arms wanting to have this day acknowledged as a day in which we almost had an insurrection. We almost had... Um, we almost had the uh, country taken over by the crazies who support President Trump. Um, and you're going to hear this uh, in a way that just says, uh, you know, this is a vehicle uh, not just to continue to pummel Trump, but to silence Republicans, to silence conservatives, even the Republicans who, you know, didn't strongly back President Trump. This is a way that the left thinks, the Democrats and the, you know, ridiculous people with an R by their name who serve on that January 6th committee. It's a way for them to silence and ridicule and mock all Republicans. It's a message. You understand, if you stand up for anything President Trump stood for, you stand up for a, a strong border, for example, and all the other policy areas where President Trump is very strong, if you stand up for that, you know, you're going to get lumped into this January 6th lunacy insurrection crowd and, and you're just toast. And so many Republicans, just like they've been too silent about the border mess and they don't speak up when they should, many Republicans in Washington, too silent, too submissive to the Democrat agenda about what happened on January 6th. Now, the January 6th commission is allegedly all about looking into what led to the riot and trying to find criminal culpability of President Trump. Please understand, the entire, true entire purpose of the January 6th commission is to try to find some way to attach, to make, Jan to make what occurred in January 6th at the Capitol entirely having been coordinated or created or, or orchestrated uh, by President Trump and to have him responsible for all the actions that people took on that day um, and more so to make sure that all Republicans understand you may never defend Trump again. So that's all going to be coming out. You're going to hear just endless discussion about January 6th. So I want to just have you understand a few things about the January 6th commission. Um, we're going to have um, Julie Kelly joining us in January, later in the month. Um, she's uh, well, actually, I, we have it, I believe we're going to have her joining us. She has a, a new book out about January 6th called January 6th. Um, and she has been writing about this. If you don't follow Julie Kelly, you should follow her as a writer at American Greatness, just a great, great writer. She's been writing about January 6th and digging into all sorts of details the average American Joe does not understand. But one thing uh, that is very, um, you should understand about January 6th is that Nancy Pelosi, she who benefits from and is, was, you know, out there orchestrating the outrage about January 6th, she's actually not willing to disclose documents that relate to the investigation. Now, if you think, it, if you're Nancy Pelosi and you think all the facts are on my side, I was right, they're wrong, you know, we did everything perfectly, you cooperate in the investigation. That's what you do because you want to prove. You're not afraid of anything will come out because you're sure that what happened uh, is all the other, other side's fault and, and therefore uh, you should, you're, you're going to produce whatever um, you're producing. Um, that you're ever, ever asked to produce. Um, and so they, they have Nancy Pelosi refusing to produce documents. Um, in, in fact, I'll, I'll read you a quote. There is irony in the fact that at the same time the House Democrats are holding witnesses in criminal contempt of Congress for raising genuine questions of legal privilege, 
You, he's speaking to Pelosi, continue to obstruct Republican access to House records related to the security preparedness of the Capitol complex. She, Pelosi, was Speaker of the House. She has the access, she had the control at the time. A lot of allegations about people said we asked for extra security, she wouldn't give it, she wouldn't agree to it, said we don't need it. And now she, Pelosi, blocking access to this January 6th committee. I mean, I'm raising this, I, please understand, I say this every time I talk about this, there were a small number of bad actors, definitely, small number of bad actors. And they were, uh, you know, people who were um, the, um, that you've seen on the news, uh, the, the, you know, who broke things or did violent things. Very small number of those people. In fact, one of them just uh, was sent to uh, federal prison for, um, I'm trying to find one thing to tell you about if I can find it on my phone really fast. Okay. Um, anyway, one of them did go to prison um, and he was, um, uh, because he threw a, um, a fire extinguisher at a bunch of police officers. Now, there was a lie put out by the media shortly after January 6th that one particular Capitol Police officer, Brian Sicknick, was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. That never happened. Never happened. The D.C. medical examiner, in presenting the evidence who did the autopsy on Brian Sicknick, said, unfortunately, this man suffered a series of strokes two or three days after January 6th. There's no evidence in his body of any injuries, no evidence he's beaten over the head with anything, no evidence he ingested anything that was dangerous. A complete concocted lie by the media spread and spread and spread and, and you know, all sorts of people working themselves into a tizzy about how bad January 6th was when that, that didn't happen. It, it just didn't happen. I'm sorry for Brian Signal. I'm sorry for anyone uh, who has a stroke and passes away, but that's really, that, that's a key thing. But anyway, back to Nancy Pelosi. She's taking the, you know, stir up everything, argue about legal privilege, try to demand everything that Trump has related to legal privilege must be exposed. Um, and yet she's saying, um, that there's a uh, doesn't have to produce a document she's being asked to do. Uh, next thing I want to tell you is there is going to be an effort by the left-wing media in this country to turn January 6th at some point this year, starting this year at some point, into kind of goes into the history books, you know, of similar importance to July 4th, 1776, or similar importance of the Emancipation Proclamation, similar importance of a world-changing event that occurred in the Capitol on January 6th. And part of what patriots who understand that is a lie need to be doing is pushing back against that, arguing against that, urge your Congress, remember Congress, this is not deserve the date in the record books, uh, the, the uh, effort to characterize in the uh, record books that this was just a day in which we almost lost the country. That's not what happened. We didn't almost lose the country. In fact, a huge element to keep track of in fact, on this show, we uh, played the portion of the video and we interviewed the maker of a video on this very topic, the actor and director and producer Nick Searcy. Actor, product, you know, producer, director Nick Searcy. And he actually made a uh, film. He made a film about January 6th in which he revealed a lot of the actions that occurred on January 6th that people captured on their own little cell phone cameras indicate very questionable conduct by the Capitol Police officers letting letting people in, people not realizing that they weren't supposed to go in because the Capitol Police officers let them in. Uh, we have two people, two characters in the um, whole episode of that day, uh, who, as it turned out, appear to be appear to be uh, FBI officers, people, or maybe not officers, FBI uh, informants working with the FBI. The big one was, his last name is Epps, E-P-P-S, who was at the Capitol yelling at the day before on January 5th, and again on January 6th, yelling to the crowd, come on, we're gonna get inside there, yeah, we're gonna raid the Capitol. And, and so, you know, he's on video, and many people saw that, and yet, it kind of went away. He went away from all the FBI postings of who's wanted and who's in trouble because the speculation goes because he was working with the FBI helping to stir up the crowd. Now, I know many people on the January 6th uh, episode in Washington want to say, well, no matter what else anybody else did, some people committed crimes. They did. Yeah, some people, a tiny portion of people did some things that were bad, but the FBI involved, apparent involvement of stirring up the crowd 
urging them to, to get to get into the Capitol and stand up for our country, all that kind of stuff, is is a very real and a very problematic um, a very problematic thing. I also want to tell you there's a story out um, that was about President Trump and um, that he had actually hired not he personally, but someone who works for him. Uh, and I'll tell you this story. This is recently coming out about January 6th, uh, that President, not, not Trump, but the person who worked under him, ex-acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. So again, working for Trump, still you know, before January 6th, ex-acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, who ran Donald Trump's Justice Department at the time of the Capitol riot, reportedly acted alone in deciding to activate elite units of commandos with authority to shoot and kill. And I want to talk about this story because there are people on the left saying, see, see, Trump was all about throwing out violence. Well, this guy who was, it wasn't Trump who had anything to do with this, but one of his officials, again, ex-acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, is now acknowledged to have, I believe is acknowledged and now discovered to have put in place on January 6th, commandos on the Capitol grounds with authority to shoot and kill because they were concerned about violence. Now, I know some people will say, well, you know, they probably were only there to, uh, you know, protect the Trump supporters and, you know, to attack the leftists. All I know is that when you are, this guy had people there on Capitol Hill ready to shoot and kill anyone who is engaged in an actually violent insurrection uh, and, and with, the, with the goal of keeping peace at the Capitol, sorry, this is not an insurrection. In fact, this is a Trump person uh, whose team, by the way, these elite commandos never did have to shoot to kill, didn't have to do that because even though the situation was a riot and it was, you know, it was, it was people really worked up, it was a riot, there wasn't the kind of insurrection that the left is trying to claim that there was. There simply wasn't an insurrection. And again, Julie Kelly's book, January 6th, really important to understand. The left is trying to use this January 6th incident as a means of, of seeking, um, uh, of expanding power, silencing their enemies uh, and, and gaining more power. But back to the Nick Searcy thing, my very happy friend is texting me. Nick Searcy's documentary is called Capital punishment and they have capital t-o-l which all my good uh, english grammar spelling etc friends know capital t-o-l refers to the building itself and so capital punishment t-o-l punishment that's his film anyway i want to say in january 6th i just i i want the media held accountable i want the democrats held accountable for the fact that they are grotesquely exaggerating what occurred on january 6th with the purpose of gaining political power. You must grasp this point. The reason the left is pushing January 6th as an insurrection is because they see it as a vehicle to seize power, to silence political opposition, to keep Trump out of office if he were to run again, to silence or shame Trump supporters. Everything they're doing about January 6th is a vehicle, a means to an end to shut down their political opponents. And the best way, to, uh, to counter that, uh, first of all, is to refuse to give in to that. Just keep on telling your friends and everyone, it was not an insurrection, it was a riot. And these same Democrats, by the way, all these Democrats on the committee that are just seething about what happened to Capitol, virtually none of them had one thing to say. All of 2020, all of 2020, when left-wing forces in this country, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, pummeled American cities, burned down police departments, burned down buildings, shot and killed people, ravaged the inner cities of, and, and destroyed businesses. Uh, these Black Lives Matter people burning down businesses owned by black Americans. All of that violence coordinated, it was coordinated, it was not random rampage, so upset. It was, it was coordinated violence against America. Many of them, the ones who actually set up the little, little fiefdom and tried to pretend they actually owned a certain square uh, in Seattle and Portland, those people, they actually put out demands, end capitalism, bring socialism, redistribution of wealth. I mean, they, they, these were radical leftists, destructive, actually trying, I mean, actually committing what you might argue is closer to an insurrection, trying to overthrow the government of a city and say, in this little area here, we own this area. None of these people in the January 6th committee looking into what happened that day, even batted an eyelash, even 
took to the microphones as they have the capacity to do to say, you know what, this is pretty out of control. I think they better settle down here. You know, we can't solve anything. None of them did that. Please understand, they had no interest. They had no interest in actual peace. You grasp that point. No interest in civility, no interest in actual peace, because what the left was pushing in that instance, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, went perfectly along with what they've been doing um, and what they stand for. So um, I, I wanted to anticipate January 6th. When you hear your friends say, well, it was really, um, uh, it really was an insurrection. No, actually, it wasn't. Um, and actually, I wanted to say back to what, um, what Nancy Pelosi is doing. This is really significant. She is the Speaker of the House. She's you know, the queen of the Democrat Party in Washington. She really is. I mean, I don't know who's considered a higher-ranking Democrat. I mean, maybe you say Chuck Schumer, but you know, no one likes him. So and I don't think you like her either. But Pelosi is a huge national figure pushing this whole January 6th thing. And then when it came around to when the documents are being requested um, at her, um, um, of her, she's like, mm, not, we're not cooperating with the committee. Not going to do that. So, um, in fact, this is the letter from Representative Rodney Davis of Illinois, top Republican on the administration committee that oversees the management of the Capitol complex. And he says, he, Representative Rodney Davis, says that Nancy Pelosi is stonewalling. He's saying the sergeant at arms at the direction of the speaker has refused to provide us their communications surrounding January 6th. I believe those records will show there was a lot of communications and coordination between the speaker's office and law enforcement officials leading up to and on January 6th. This is the stuff she won't release. And one last point on this, and I'm going to turn to my last topic today because I have one more great topic I want to get to. Um, but there's a lot of news out about whether uh, Ivanka Trump or others on the Trump team, as he's still at the White House on January 6th, uh, that they were pleading with him, with Trump, to say, you need to call down the violence. You've got to stand up, tell these people to go home. I want to remind you that on January 6th, President Trump spoke in Washington. That's why a lot of people were there. That it was the, the day that the Congress had their constitutional authority, House and Senate meet together, constitutional authority and obligation, responsibility, to uh, actually move forward the votes that, that resulted from the uh, Electoral College, came out of the states, it's their job. Uh, and many people were hoping on that day uh, that Vice President Pence, who supervised that meeting, who's in charge of that meeting legally, uh, would listen to some of the states who were saying, we think there was significant fraud here. Can you send our votes back to us and let us look at this again? They were hoping that Pence would do that. He decided not to, uh, much to the chagrin of some people, but um, you know, he apparently viewed that as to be the best outcome. In any case, on that day, President Trump had spoken to the people gathered, and, and they were like a mile and a half away from the Capitol. And they were, I mean, a long walk in Washington when it's crowded with people. And he, he closed it out by saying, you know, to go forward peaceably. He told them to be peaceful. I can't recall his exact language, but in the close of that speech, he's urging them to go peaceably over to the Capitol and, and to, you know, be outside the Capitol asking uh, both Vice President Pence and the various members of the House and Senate to please send back some of those votes in Electoral College because the very states that sent those votes in, those vote tallies in, were now questioning fraud in their own states. So he urged his followers, I can't remember the exact language, but urged his followers to go peaceably. So later, you know, the, all this stuff is unfolding at the Capitol. And, and, you know, there are stories that Ivanka Trump and, and others said to her dad, you know, said to President Trump, you know, you need to try to do something about this. And, you know, I will say, I don't think that, and, and this is being used as an argument by the January 6th committee that President Trump actually wanted this violence or wanted it to happen, or at least didn't, didn't care that it happened, or was, you know, and somehow this was a plan he laid out ahead of time and, and wasn't gonna get involved. It may prove, if that, those things are true, that their people had talked to him, it may prove that on that day, President Trump did not use, you know, uh, the judgment that he might have used you know, uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, look back later, that maybe he should have said, hey. But at the time, he doesn't really know what's happening at the Capitol. He doesn't know. He's not there. He's back at the White House. He knows he has Capitol Police on hand. He knows that there are all sorts of, of, of police officials in Washington, D.C., D.C. Police, Capitol Police. He knows the Capitol is a heavily guarded building. He already knows this. This is what has always been true. So you might say, okay, lapse in judgment, that maybe he should have 
you know, I don't know one, made a national address. And also, what's he supposed to do to get the attention of the people who are at the Capitol already inside? I mean, he doesn't have a, you know, a bullhorn to reach from the White House to the Capitol and say, hey, everybody, go home. He doesn't really have the capacity to stop it. And he doesn't have the capacity to have his voice heard by the people inside the Capitol at that time. And so this whole effort of the left to just uh, contort and embellish this, you know, this data that's apparently going to come out or it has come out that uh, Ivanka and others encouraged President Trump to say something, try to stop the violence. It may be you say, okay, Monday morning quarterback, he probably should have said something. But that does not in any way prove or equate to evidence that he wanted the violence, that he orchestrated the violence, that he planned the violence. All it means was he wasn't sure what he could do or how he could do it, and he wasn't sure whether there really was a need for him to do it, because he's not there. He's not at the Capitol. He's back at the White House, and he knows the Capitol has Capitol Police officers, D.C. police officers, and other sources available, and Nancy Pelosi is supposed to be in charge of the security of the Capitol. All I'm saying is, all this, you know, hoopla that is going to come out about, well, Trump got, no, Ivanka told him, okay, you know what, maybe you want to say, uh, looking back on it as things went down that day, maybe he should have tried to say something. But how is he supposed to do that? He's, I mean, he's just like trot in the, uh, you know, get into the, uh, you know, presidential limousine and go over the Capitol and circle and say, hey, people, they didn't have a way to do that. I mean, it's a, 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 I mean, maybe you would argue he could have done something, but this, that's always what the left says. He could have done something. What? What was he supposed to do? He told the people to act peaceably. He knows they have police in the Capitol. He doesn't have a capacity or an ability to talk to the people inside the Capitol. And so he didn't speak up when, when maybe some people said he should have. Do not let the left lure you into making the non-existent connection between the fact that he didn't speak up that day when some advised him to do so with the idea that the left has cooked up this completely fraudulent, yet another hoax the left has cooked up, which was the January 6th events at the Capitol. The riot was, a, was an insurrection. It was not an insurrection. It was a riot by people who were unhappy, many of whom were well aware that there was significant election fraud and they could not stand watching that the government seemed to be powerless to do anything or unwilling to do something about it. We'll talk about that more. We'll see how January 6th goes. I know President Trump's making a speech that day, I will be tuned into that. Uh, if it's before my show, you'll hear about it, even though we have this doctor coming on uh, a little bit about it. We'll talk about it next Monday also. So one final topic I want to hit with you today, um, and that has about a post, uh, I called it post-racial America versus woke racial inanity. Insanity. It's also inanity. So before I get to this, I'm going to do one, uh, two quick things for you. If you like this show, if you appreciate this show, there are numerous ways you can support this show. I'm going to get to the woke inanity at Arizona State University. You won't even believe it. But before I do, uh, three quick ways you can support this show. Number one, you can join America Can We Talk. If you go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under members, hit that members button across the top. It says join. It's $50 a year. It's nothing. $50 a year, but if I get a lot of our listeners to do that, it's very, very helpful to us. Uh, number two, uh, in addition to joining our show, um, I want to tell you that we have two ways you can actually buy a product you'll probably love um, and also help to support the show. One is with my pillow, and as you, uh, if you listen to the show, you know my pillow sells great products, great pillows, which we have in our house. We have pillows. Uh, bathrobes, slippers, we have all, and, and MyPillow uh, is a company that puts out simply extremely high quality, reasonably priced, and very durable, j just exactly the kind of thing you want in these kind of products, whether it is pillows, slippers, bathrobes, bath towels. They have a whole catalog of things they have. I would never recommend them to you if I were, hadn't used them myself. But if you want to buy any of this to support this show and get nice products in your home at discounted price, go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code you see in the bottom right, it's at Debbie G, MyPillow.com, 
pick a bunch of things you would like to get. You get up to 66% off of your order when you enter the promo code DebbieG, and I get some small little percentage from them, which helps support this show. So I'd love to have you do that. I promise you, you will not regret any purchase you make on MyPillow.com. Second product I have is related to, uh, it's a kind of a health drink called H2Bev, um, and it's actually, if you can put that up, this, um, the, uh, picture of yeah okay there it is hydro shot this is a picture of the can um it has uh, it's, it says nitric oxide boost um and i'm telling you that i learned about this from a doctor friend and i was whining after i had the flu and kind of feeling dragging and logy and he said i'm telling you this it is, it is the best thing is so it's not available in stores not available at any of the big box stores anywhere else only online but it is an energy booster, increases performance, endurance, focus. It is just an amazingly great product. Um, and you can see at the top right, h2bev.com. Again, the promo code DebbieG. Get 10% off your order. They ship, it'll ship, it'll come right to your happy door. Um, and it is zero calories, keto friendly, and tastes great. They have three flavors, and honest to goodness, I notice the energy boost. They have, um, so I, I urge you to, to uh, consider that product too. I get a small percentage, you get 10 10% off, and everybody gets to try this wonderful product. Okay, third topic very quickly today was I want to hit on this, this kind of where we are with race relations in America. Again, as with many other topics the left does, understand the agitation the left works up on any issue is always designed to help them build power. It is why they do. It is what motivates the anti-American left in this country on every issue imaginable. It's always about them gathering more power, gathering more control over you. Now, what I want to tell you first is what happened at Arizona State University, um, which was a uh, just truly remarkable um, remarkable episode. So at Arizona State University, um, they apparently have a, um, a multicultural center where you can go and study. And so multicultural center means, I guess, you know, all cultures can go. It's a study area. And uh, two white men went in there, students at, at ASU, and one of them had a pro-Biden um, message on his uh, shirt, and one had, I think, on his computer. Anyway, the point was, they had these, oh, one of them had a, um, a Chick-fil-A cup, you know, Chick-fil-A, and that Chick-fil-A triggers leftists, you know, they hate Chick-fil-A. And so, anyway, they're inside this, this uh, place, this multicultural learning space, and one had an anti-Biden t-shirt, oh, one had a Police Lives Matter sticker on his computer, Police Lives Matter. So, they go in this place, and there were two black students who did not want these people to be there. These two white guys who sat down and they, as far as the story I have read, they were not disruptive, they weren't yelling, they, weren't, they, they went in there to study, but they had these things on their shirts or the Chick-fil-A thing or a sticker in their computer, which had a message offensive to these students at ASU, these students of the Multicultural Center. So these two young women, students of the school, asked these two white guys to leave because they, they were offended by the messages they had on their cup, shirt, and computer. Asked them to leave, and the guy said, no, you know, we're allowed to be here, we're just studying, we're just, they, they weren't disrupting anybody. Anyway, so the girls called, these two young students called uh, campus security, and they wanted campus security to come remove these people because they had messages that triggered these students and offended them. They were offended by an anti-Biden message, by a Chick-fil-A thing, um, or, or Police Lives Matter. The, they found these messages offensive. So they wanted the camp, campus police to come remove them. Well, campus police took too long in their view. They hadn't come in 30 minutes. So the girls forced these two men to leave. They just kicked them out of the multicultural center. So the men complained to the school and said, you know, hey, we didn't disrupt them. We didn't yell at them. We, we just were in there and, and, you know, I mean, I'm gonna guess the multicultural center, I don't know this, but I'm gonna guess there may have been students in there that had you know, shirts on the, the things that they, their slogans of pol political views they believe in, you know. They might have had Black Lives Matter, they might have had all sorts of views that leftists matter, that care about. So the two white students complain to the campus um, uh, administration, the administration investigates, and these two young women were actually reprimanded, told, 
You can't kick people out just because they believe things that you don't believe. You're not, you can't do that. You can't kick them out. And one of the punishments was to tell these two young students they had to write something about how they would interact in the future if other people came in the multicultural center and they had messages that these women were triggered by. So now ask Mr. Becker to play a clip. This is the two women. This is the way they posted their uh, opposition uh, to the punishment by ASU. On September 23rd, hateful and racist symbology invaded our multicultural center on ASU's Tempe campus and made the center unsafe for BIPOC students who were trying to study. The two white men, both students, displayed a Police Lives Matter sticker, a Brass Pro hat, a Chick-fil-A cup, and an anti-Biden t-shirt. The Police Lives Matter sticker was on one of the white man's laptop. Laptop, which was clearly directed towards a black woman who was leading the black study tables across from him as the boys chose to sit across from the black study tables. The boys made the space uncomfortable with their nonverbal aggressive gestures directed towards the black woman. The students called for help from ASU, but no one came for over 30 minutes. So we were forced to confront these men by ourselves. After this incident, we received thousands of rape, death, and lynching threats on our personal Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and email accounts. It's been more than two months since the incident. And Zara and I received these threats every single day. ASU was aware of how we were getting doxxed and suffering psychological and emotional violence by white supremacists from across the country, but it still did not protect us. Instead, they launched an investigation against us and we had to mobilize the community to protect ourselves from being kicked out by the institution. ASU's investigation found us guilty of interfering with university activities. Dear white people, aka ASU, you openly discriminated against us on November 16th when you handed down your decision from your racially biased investigation. We are being persecuted for defending our multicultural center from racism and sexism. You gave us two punishments. The first one was a warning, and the second one was to write a three-page paper on how next time when we talk with white people about race and society, we will be civil. This video is in fulfillment of our educational intervention. We're going to give ASU an educational intervention on why telling students of color at ASU to be more civil in the face of white supremacy and neo-Nazism on this campus is actually violent. ASU is a violent place. Just last week, there was an Islamophobic attack at ASU in which pages from Quran Majid, the holiest book for Muslims, yep, you know were what? ripped. I had to cut that off because I realized how close I am on time to the end of the show. There's a link to this video. There's a link to the article in which this video is included, and you, our listeners, can see all the links of the shows that I, um, all the you know information, whatever I talk about in the show, I have my sources available on our website. But I want to make a little bit of a commentary uh, about how we got to this mess uh, of what these girls are saying, these young girls. As one little point before I can uh, talk about what these young women are saying, I will say that the two young men who came into that center, yes, they have the right to wear anti-Biden shirts and, and uh, pro-police, you know, police lives matter, and they have the right to like Chick-fil-A. They have the right to have that, that uh, a symbology, as that one girl called it, uh, anywhere, as does everyone else in society. I mean, I'm out. I see people wearing shirts you know, uh, pro-Hillary shirts, people wearing slogans I don't agree with. This is the beauty of America. They, everyone can have their own views. I will say that it looked like from a little video in the middle of that, that the guys were intentionally being confrontational, sitting across from uh, a Black Lives, um, a uh, Black Studies table where students were apparently congregating, talking about their Black Studies program. 
and, and it was a bit confrontational in their attitude. I'm not commending the boys and how they acted. I think they were just, they were a little bit uh, intentionally provocative. It's like the people who show up at a Black Lives Matter rally and, and they're on the other side. I mean, you're, you're deciding, and you're you know, opposed to them, you're deciding to be confrontational. So they were a bit confrontational. But this is part of grown-up America. I mean, I'm just saying, I will be to fear of these women, I think they were agitated by the way the guys were acting. They they had this symbology, as they say, and they had you know they were they were taking a little one guy looked like he was taking a video or pictures or something. But here's how bad this has become, and again, it has become bad in this country because of the actions and the ideology of the anti-American left. Those students, those two young women who are just did that video, they do not think that they have to even look at someone sporting a shirt, a message, a cup, a sticker on their computer that they don't agree with, that they felt unsafe. They actually think that they have the right to feel safe at all times. And so if someone has symbology on a shirt, a cup, their computer, then they, they, they don't agree with it, they can call themselves unsafe and therefore they can banish the people they don't agree with. That's what they think their right is. That's what they think free speech is. That's what they think their rights are as students in America. We can't function like this. We cannot have, and this has been cultivated by the anti-American left for decades, telling college students, you have the right to a safe space, you come in there and nobody can say anything that you don't like, and you can kick them out. And these, these girls are obviously outraged by the university looking in the situation saying, you can't kick other, and the answer of the university was, you can't kick other people out because they don't agree with you. That's not part of, that's not campus life. But these girls have so cultivated and been cultivated by the anti-American left, they are outraged that someone is saying that they have all their language and their uh, symbology and, you know, um, uh, the BIPOC community and, they, and they're uncomfortable and nonverbal threats, they, nonverbal gestures and, um, and, and, you know, calling anyone who liked, who is anti-Biden or pro-police at white supremacists. And these are absurd conclusions they drew, absurd and idiotic conclusions they drew from how those boys acted. Now the boys were, as I, can, as I said, you know, they were, they were trying to get in their face a little bit and they succeeded. But this is, I commend ASU, which is a wonderful, I mean, a decision, uh, bravery by the school to say to these girls, you don't have the right to kick anyone out who thinks things you don't agree with. This is not how we function in America. You could, you know, call them out. You could say, I don't like your shirt. I don't like your message. And I can say that to anyone I see out, out in America who's walking around with a shirt on, you know, loves Hillary, loves Biden. I mean, I don't feel the uh, right or the inclination to challenge them. But this is what the left has cultivated. This is the result of intentional cultivation of a sense of entitlement among anti-American leftists who have planted the seeds in the minds of students in America that the country is deeply racist, that anyone who supports poli police, the police must be a white supremacist. They even knew the word Nazi about two guys who had a, uh, you know, Biden's to anti-Biden message and had a sticker or had a, cup from Chick-fil-A, but they have, they have garnered the language of empowerment, the language they've been taught by the left. They actually are outraged that the university didn't stand by them, and they want the university to agree that two guys who came in the multicultural center and offended them, uh, they have the right to do whatever they want. They, they can kick them out, and the school should have taken their side. And honestly, the school is doing these girls a huge favor, a huge favor, because at some point in real life, as these young people grow up and graduate and get jobs, they're going to figure out that you can't wander around in America, in workplaces in America, and in society, and in your neighborhood, and in any other place where you congregate. You, you can't walk around feeling that you've been designated as a judge of what other people may think and put on their t-shirts and say and feel and, act and, and, uh, be, and, and advocate for. You don't have the right to shut other people down. But this is this left wing, you know, you were above everybody else, we're smarter than everybody else, we are right, and you are entitled to be outraged. ASU did a great thing for those girls, telling them, sorry, you can't do this. They could have actually said to the guys, you know, you don't have to be so confrontational, because I don't think the guys 
accomplished anything. I mean, they went in there and they, you know, they had things that this, they, they knew most students in that room wouldn't like uh, on their sticker, on their shirt, wherever they had it. Um, they knew that they didn't probably accomplish anything, but they did provoke ASU to decide, you know, who gets to censor each other. And these girls are shocked to learn they don't get to censor other people. I want to contrast that with, I got to close out the show because time is up, but I want to commend an article to you. I want to urge you to read it. The gentleman who wrote it is a friend of mine named Kendall, Kendall Qualls, Q-U-A-L-L-S, Kendall Qualls. He writes at the Federalist. He's a conservative black GOP uh, activist in Minnesota. Um, he uh, either has filed or is going to file, I think, to run for governor. I'm not sure what he's doing. But he wrote an article at the Federalist called, It's Time for Black Americans to Embrace a Post-Racial America. I'm going to say that title again. It is time for black Americans to embrace a post-racial America. At the Federalist, linked on my website, because the only solution to, to root out, to heal the, the racism, the, the anger and vitriol that the anti-American left has deliberately sown into the minds of young people like those two girls at ASU, like the entire following of the Black Lives Matter movement. The only way to rise above that is to go back to the ideas of America and also to be truthful about where America is in 2022. Many black conservatives are saying Stop agreeing with the left's message that America is institutionally racist, that America is systemically racist. If you concede that starting point, which is a starting point of Black Lives Matter and critical race theory and the 1619 Project, all the leftist right, racial agitation, if you concede that starting point, then all that ever happens from that is that you're having to, you have a society permanently divided by race, intentionally divided by race, and then this society forever battling for, you know, who's going to win this argument, who's going to win this point, who's going to convince, and to have Americans rise above that, because the ugliest idea of all, that racist push, is that somehow there is, there are different truths, different truths for different groups of people. The simple fact is America's founding ideas are a blessing to everyone of every race, creed, color, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, every background. America's ideas are the best, the founding ideas of America. It's why they made America so great. And we have to be able to step back from the agitation of the left and recognize they're luring us into trying to get into a black versus white argument in America it is beneath the dignity of black and white and every other American. It's beneath our dignity to concede the starting point. They are saying that America is systemically or institutionally racist. I can't urge you strong enough. We're going to talk about his article some more. I got to roll because I'm out of time. But this article is a great one and a really great thought to say it's time for black Americans to embrace a post-racial America. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show today, starting about illegal aliens, fly free. What message are we sending? The Biden administration is flying planes full of illegal immigrants, mostly in the dark of night, from the southern border to places all over America. No apparent COVID testing or inconsistent testing of the illegal immigrants, no mandatory vaccination of illegal immigrants, little or no demand for valid ID from, ID from illegal immigrants. They're just want they're just welcomed and flown around there is no possible way to square these actions of the biden administration with the constitutional demand on the president to protect and defend the sovereignty of the usa no possible way americans must wake up and demand that these actions stop now and then prep for january 6th coming up in two days radical left is determined at all costs to preserve the january 6th insurrection narrative with the facts and truth keep getting out and do not support the narrative. Video confirms Capitol Police invited protesters into the Capitol. Four Trump supporters were killed, no police officers were killed, and no protester was even armed. No protester has been charged with leading or participating in an insurrection because one year after the event, there is no evidence on which to base such a charge. Please understand, they've been digging hysterically for a year. No evidence to base that charge. Pelosi's withholding January 6th records. The FBI DOJ is still withholding 14,000 plus hours of video. Why? 
the obvious immunity given Ray Epps and Stuart Rhodes, these are the two people suspected of being uh, FBI uh, plants who were active that day and, and never got charged, and others raised suspicions as the FBI and the DOJ's role. Were they staging and instigating a false flag event so as to stop decertification of the election? Read Julie Kelly's new book, January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. That's a great title. And last one, Post-Racial America versus Woke Racial Insanity. Polls are capturing the move. Oh, I didn't even tell you about this. Polling showing Hispanic voters are moving toward Republicans. Hispanic voters moving toward Republicans. Polls are capturing the move of all people, regardless of skin color, ethnicity, or birthplace, toward freedom and the MAGA agenda. Hispanics, blacks, and legal immigrants are all trending away from Democrats, from support of the Democrats. Critical race theory is offensive to all people. The 1619 Project is not believed or accepted. Yet bastions of leftism, universities, continue to deal with destructive wokeism. Arizona State students at a multicultural center can't handle fellow students holding a Chick-fil-A cup and sporting an anti-Biden t-shirt. Makes them uncomfortable. They don't feel safe. They don't feel safe because someone doesn't think like they do. Absurd. This is silly and immature, a snowflake culture emerging from leftist narratives, cancel culture. ASU administration tried to stand up for freedom of speech and tolerance of all views peacefully held, but offended students are so far unable to grow up. Undoing the damage of decades of leftist indoctrination will not be accomplished overnight. Americans must be patient, but determined. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Tomorrow, joining me on the show is Clay Clark, our Tulsa, Oklahoma podcaster friend. Uh, he's got a lot a lot to tell you about the latest discoveries of COVID uh, or relating to COVID and COVID treatments and the interconnection of a lot of players. It's a follow the dots talk. I've heard him give. He's going to do that tomorrow on our show. And then Thursday, of course, we have Dr. Brian Artis joining us talking about the early treatments for COVID and how effective they are and, and how we should have had them out there sooner. So I'm Debbie Georgiatis and this is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters and I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?